When we took a hit from our position with our retail stores, we had to furlough several of our employees. This company is a vibrant, loud, noisy, chaotic, fun place to be. And now it's like a graveyard. Nobody's interrupted this podcast. That is just unbelievable. I'm extremely worried that we're going to have a case of coronavirus. We don't have it all figured out, so I'm... <laughs> if anybody has advice for me, I will love that. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Kelly Martin, and you are listening to Making It Work, made possible by FedEx. In the first episode of this two-part special, we discovered how COVID-19 is impacting the lives of our entrepreneurs and how it could mean boom or bust for their businesses. As the world slowly opens up and faces the reality of a post-pandemic existence, we explore what it's been like running a company under lockdown. So how do you operate under the constraints of coronavirus? And will things ever go back to how they were? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon. Things are starting to get more normal. But as the world cautiously opens up and we try to remember how to have picnics in the park or put on our shoes or whatever we did before this mess, there's a lingering sense of unease. Because the truth is, whether we can leave our homes or not, we still face a grim economic reality. And there's no one that understands that more than small businesses. As we learnt in the first episode of this special, A global pandemic doesn't necessarily mean you're doomed to failure. What it does mean is that you have to accept a new way of working, not to improve your workflow or streamline your operations, but to prevent your staff or customers catching a deadly disease. For most, that means at the very least, isolation, and some are dealing with it better than others. Let's talk to David Patrick, founder of Shark Wheel in California. For him, coronavirus meant a surge in sales for his wheel company. The trouble is, that came at the expense of being part of a team. It's just really not fun being here by myself. And as far as I'm only here by myself at very specific times, and then another person will come in and they'll handle shipping, and then another person will be in another warehouse where we just keep ourselves separate all the time. We never see each other during the day. And that isolation is terrible. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. I I do not like being alone. I like it where there's a hub of people and we're all here together and ideas are, you know, flying back and forth and there's a lot of communication and there's a lot of joking around and fun. And now it's 10 and 12 hours a day of just me by myself. So we're sliced it up as far as both physically where we're standing isolation, but then also timeline isolations where Jack will come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday at a very specific time. And I'll make sure that I'm not here when he's here and he'll always wipe up and clean up after himself. And I'm doing the same thing for him. So we're kind of fractured physically and then we're fractured time wise as to, uh, you know, interaction. And there's just no interaction. There's none. It's absolutely dead. I have, you know, spa music playing and that's it to try and keep me calm all day. And being here by myself, which is so opposite of what this company is. This company is a vibrant, loud, noisy, chaotic, fun place to be. And now it's like a graveyard. There is just nobody here and there's no sound and there's no nothing. Nobody's interrupted this podcast. That is just unbelievable. You know, usually there's always somebody at the door or somebody walking in or somebody making some noise. And that, that, 
deathly quiet that's happened, I've turned into a peace area where it's like, okay, I'm going to be a Zen dude for a while. I'm going to really just kind of go into a Zen mode. I'm going to take a couple of months of where this is going to be peaceful and I'm going to focus more on my mental health, you know, with being happy in a Zen mode rather than, you know, really enjoying the chaotic mode. So it's about a mindset. I'm trying to keep a balance. What I'm losing in one area, I'm trying to balance with something else. And there's always something else. There is always a silver lining. I, I, I really believe that. It doesn't matter how bad things get. There is a way to find the positive in it or find the thing. That's overcoming failure. You know, It's like you're being handed a challenge. How are you going to overcome that challenge? Okay, well, overcoming the challenge becomes the challenge. That's the new thing I'm going to occupy my mind with is I now have a panic button that's been hit. My life is now about solving the panic problem. As a perma-optimist, it's not exactly unusual to hear David talking about finding a positive in something, even in times of crisis. But this time he's really put his money where his mouth is. Or more accurately, he's put his moulds where his mouth is. You see, on hearing that there was a shortage of personal protective equipment in US hospitals, he put his 3D printers to good use and, well, I'll let him tell the story. It's funny, our CFO saw a link on a Facebook page of somebody that had posted an open source file that was asking for help in 3D printing it. So I started doing that and then I, we're, again, we're a big technology company as far as rapid development. So while I was 3D printing, I thought about casting them and, you know, making a silicone mold and casting. And that turned out to not be such a good idea because most of the materials that we use in casting are somewhat poisonous to the skin and we don't want to make people sicker. So um, in that, I talked to a guy named Troy from BJB Enterprises, which is where we buy all our casting supplies. And he hooked me up with another guy named Mark, who was also in the effort. And Mark had designed his own version of the headgear, which was much more comfortable and a much uh, easier product to produce. So take me through the process of becoming an overnight social enterprise. So as soon as we recognized that the demand was there and that it was an opportunity for us to help out, there was two very different things that had to happen. Number one, I had to go buy a lot of hardware and I had to set all that hardware up. And that's kind of a one-time thing. But when you go out there and you buy 13 3D printers that each one needs an hour and a half of setup and tuning, plus tons of material, plus tons of trips back and forth to this, you know, the, the store where I was getting everything, there was a huge amount of effort that had to be put into the nuts and bolts of changing what it was we are. I had to clear space for these things. I had to get them all set up. I had to get them all tuned in. And there was just a massive, massive one week effort of doing that. So while other companies are seeing a fall in sales and are filling the void by helping out with PPE, you're doing both. You're seeing an increase in sales and you're also helping out. Yeah, the increase in sales is only a small part of us because we do have other projects. But because I am the only one here, um, we got to kind of protect the staff from each other. So I am the only one that's physically showing up every day. So it's easy for me to run a fleet of printers at the same time as getting the regular work done. How much extra time does it take to manufacture the PPE? It's, it's adding about four hours a day to my life. So 
I'm coming in two hours earlier and I'm leaving two hours later than I would normally do because I can't fit that plus my regular work into a single day. So four hours a day, seven days a week. Is there any situation where you don't see the bright side of things, where you can't see anything positive? No, I'm not that kind of person. I'd be, I'd probably be depressed if I wasn't this way. Um, I've lived a wonderful life, you know, and it's like, I have so much to look back on that I've enjoyed and I have my children and I have my family and all that kind of stuff and friends. I don't, I'm just not that kind of person. I just, nothing so bad. And, you know, I have faith as well. And so there's nothing that's so bad that you have to crawl in a hole and, and just let it absorb you or overcome you. Um, I always find the bright side in things. That's just who I am. If I was being critical of David, which I often am, I would say that it's easy to be an optimist when your sales are through the roof. But after writing a whole season of a small business podcast, I know there doesn't always have to be a correlation between optimism and success. Take Dana. Her Philadelphia-based business, Anna Ono, manufactures and sells lingerie for women who've had mastectomies. And things were on the up and up. But as soon as COVID-19 hit and sales to brick and mortar clients dried up, she was forced to furlough some of her staff. But when you get diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 27, I guess you learn the importance of staying positive when there's this pesky virus going around. Actually, what I've been able to do or what I'm striving to do is work on boundaries for myself because I think what we're finding now in a world of isolation, we are actually striving to have more communication, which is great, but that communication can really suck up your entire day. So I find myself on calls and Zoom calls every hour of every day, and then I'm not getting my work done, which then rolls into the evening hours. So I've limited what days I will take phone calls and Zooms to make sure that I have the commitment to the business that it needs. And I'm finding ways to restructure my life in that day to in this new form of day to day, because the first two weeks were probably the most stressful things I've ever been through, just with the amount of phone calls and then applying for the government loans and restructuring and strategizing the business. It was too much, too fast. And I've, I've really tried to adjust to this new normal as best as possible. Are you self-isolating? We are an essential business. So we are able to still perform our work responsibilities and service our customer. However, we have scaled back to offering just office hours from like Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays to keep the social distancing as strong as we can. Uh, I isolate, I, I like to say I isolate in my office and, and at home, um, but not going out in public. So we're, we're all isolating in the ways that we need to. But I think the real threat is, is that, you know, you may still have to go to the grocery store. You still have to go out and pump your gas. Um, so there are still moments where you are exposed to external environment. And what does that mean? And if somebody goes to the grocery store and catches COVID, but then comes into the office and a, a few days, it's complicated because we still have to live these essential lives and feed ourselves. So it puts you in a, in a tricky position, especially. And we just, we try to, you know, we have all of the sanctions in place. We are disinfecting. 
we are cleaning, we are keeping our social distance while in the office. And that is, you know, the best that we can perform our responsibilities. Have you been able to keep everybody on? When we took a hit from our position with our retail stores, we had to furlough several of our employees, uh, again, due to the conservation of cash at hand, knowing that we were going to be missing out on a big chunk of our monthly revenues. And that's been a very tricky thing as a business owner, because even though the business is gone, it doesn't mean that the work is less. So we are now, you know, working with some of our key employees, you know, making sure that our customers are taken care of and that we can service our customers to our utmost ability and really prioritizing them, making sure that, you know, once we get out to the other side, uh, we'll be able to ramp up our team again. And is there any reassurance you can offer to your team at present or is everything an unknown at the moment? Unfortunately, it's the unknown. I mean, unfortunately, you feel like as a business owner, my feeling is that I'm just like stomping away in black sludge because you can't make any decisions when you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm glued to the news because every 24 hours, a new something is addressed, uh, longer closures, more enforcement. It's constantly changing every day. And so you have to stay abreast of that to make sure that you're compliant among the government sanctions that are being put out. But it's it's hard to tell. I mean, I think that we were generously hopeful that we were going to open back up by Easter. I never expected that we would open back up by Easter, but it's also a little disheartening to think that we might be closed through June. Obviously, times were always quite tough. They've suddenly got a lot tougher. What gets you through? Right now, in these tough times, I have to say, I feel like I'm living a bit in a vortex because my professional life is under stress and um, it's a constant changing, evolving thing in my life. But then I go outside and I realize that the sky is not falling and that people are smiling and laughing and the sun is shining and my handsome dog Hooch gets more walks than he has his entire life and he is loving his humans being around him all of the time and there's just this reality to say I'm here and I'm breathing today. What's the first thing you'll do when this is over? The first thing I'm going to do when this is over is my husband and I are going to take a vacation. And a real vacation. I'm going to unhook my phone, my computer. I'm going to go off the grid and we're going to go somewhere and really, really enjoy our life and enjoy ourselves for a few days um, as soon as we are able. Where are you going to go? We don't know yet. That's the possibilities are endless. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to a Making It Work special coming up. The biggest advice I can give is just save your cash. Like, say, you talk to every possible vendor you can about deferring payments. Hold on to your cash. We lived through 9-11. We lived through the last recession in 2008. Our business has survived through so many different crises. We don't have it all figured out, so I'm... <laughs> If anybody has advice for me, I will love that. (laughs) If you're wondering where we find these candid and outspoken entrepreneurs, 
They're all part of the FedEx Entrepreneur Advisory Board, which is a group of founders that meet up regularly, talk about businessy stuff, and have to put up with people like me asking them stupid questions. It also means they all know each other and stay in touch, which is probably why they were telling me things like this. Somebody else that might be interesting to talk to on the other on the flip side of this is Danny Catullo. He's just crushing it. So I'm super happy for him. That's just amazing. That was Diana sharing news of Danny Catullo's success. Danny's company Perishable Shipping Solutions, which does exactly as it sounds, ships ice cream, meat and other perishables to your door, has seen a massive spike in sales over the past couple of months. But while business is booming like Christmas has come early, the increased pressure is taking its toll. Because as he gains more clients, he has to hire more staff. And as he hires more staff, the chances of discovering a case of coronavirus in his company grow ever more likely. What's going on in our warehouses right now is we are trying to operate within, within, I would say, unideal circumstances. Basically trying to operate with a hand tied behind our back. So basically, we have two half shifts going on each day where there are half the supervisors, half the staff members, and then also being able to get the influx of packages out, we have actually increased our staff level by 33%. So it's inefficient, but we believe it's the best way for us to, one, operate in a safe and healthy way, and two, be able to still operate in case somebody on our team happens to contract a virus and we need to put half the staff for that particular warehouse on quarantine. What safeguards have you put in place to make sure that your your, your staff stay as, as healthy as possible? I think the best way to operate a business during this time right now is just to communicate. We're communicating a lot every day to our staff. Um, it's coming up from management. It's going through our ops managers, going through the supervisors, all the way down to our pick and packers. Everybody on our team needs to be on the same page on how they can help create a safe and healthy work environment. And that's everything from cleaning up your space. That's everything from using the hand sanitizer, washing your hands, making sure that you're appropriately distancing yourself away from other employees, um, spreading out our lunch breaks, everything that we can do to be able to basically do our best to be able to prevent any sort of outbreak at our facility. Do you have anyone who's not doing manual work, who's working more of an office capacity, self-isolating at home? Yeah, so it's been it's been interesting for us. We have customer success managers that help drive the businesses that we ship for, um, helping them understand how to ship on Amazon, how to be able to grow their Shopify sites, how to go on goldbelly.com or walmart.com. And so typically our customer success managers are located right in the warehouse. Well, now our non-essential packers, so that would be our customer success managers, are working from home. And so we are doing FaceTime, we're doing Zoom meetings, we're doing text messages, we're, we're trying to be able to instill the same level of customer care that we had when our customer success managers were at the warehouse, but doing it at home. Obviously, your staff are working flat out at the moment. What messages are you giving to them? Are are you sort of showing your gratitude in in a different way now? I think successful businesses like the two that I own always show their employees gratitude. And so we're just continuing with what we typically do during a normal work week. And also what we're seeing is 
influx of people who aren't in our industry actually helping our workers. And so we've seen uh, anything from anonymous donations um, to, to friends and family members that I know um, that have sent me um, money to be able to buy pizza or lunch or breakfast or donuts or coffee for our crew and really just being out there and appreciating the essential workers that are keeping our food supply, our, our supply chain going, um, and also making sure that we all have healthy food to eat. You're saying that you've received anonymous donations from people who just want to support essential businesses. Yes. I think this virus has shed the light on how essential um, just not, not only the doctors, but the nurses, the janitorial staff at hospitals, the pick packers at warehouses, the grocery store workers, a lot of un, unheralded you know, workers in this economy um, that are now, now part of the 10% that are still working um, every day without any interruption, um, not having to work from home, having to actually go into the workplace. I think the country is starting to see how important they are to our economy and to their normal everyday lives. Health-wise, the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. How worried are you about discovering a case of coronavirus in your company? I'm extremely worried that we're going to have a case of coronavirus where it either partially shuts us down or fully shuts us down. And so we're prepared every day for those sort of scenarios to affect our business and put as many backup plans as possible to be able to continue to operate. Our butcher shop has been in business for three generations. We live through steel mills shutting down where thousands of people lost their jobs in our community. We lived through 9-11. We lived through the last recession in 2008. Our business, and specifically my family as entrepreneurs, as business owners, has survived through so many different crises and made sure that we have pivoted along the way to change our business model. I think I'm doing my family proud by continuing to operate during this time and providing so many opportunities for our local farmers, for people in our community to work, and also others to be able to get our all-natural food delivered directly to their doorstep. Because you can't really pack boxes from home, most of Danny's staff have to be in one of his warehouses. But for those with a job involving office-based tasks, working from home has become the new normal, and it's brought with it a realisation that remote working is no longer a vision of the future, but very much a reality of the here and now. For streamlined startups born online, this has jump-started a new way of doing things, which is exactly the case for Diana Gans. Her business, The Groomsman Suit, which supplies suits and tuxedos for weddings, has really suffered over the past couple of months. But while sales have fallen off a cliff, the Chicago-based team have kept busy with tasks that are more suited to a quiet home rather than a noisy co-working space. This way of working has been so successful that Diana isn't even living in Chicago anymore, but has moved to Denver. I guess she needs the extra space, since now she's self-isolating for two. They're not in the office. They're working from home. You know, we've always had some remote members of our team. I mean, we've had elements always of having team members that are kind of like virtual. 
thank God we've built tools um, over the years, like I said earlier, that have kind of like streamlined our communication. We use a customer service platform, Zendesk. Um, it is I it is so amazing. And like without it, I don't know what we would do because it basically centralizes all of our customer communication to one transparent platform that everyone can see. And we, you know, while our sales are down, I mean, we're still getting questions from couples. We're still getting inquiries. We're still getting exchange requests, um, random, you know, customer needs. And so this platform has, you know, aggregates those. And from wherever we are, we can all see it and we can see the communication from our other teammates. And I mean, without that, I don't, I don't know what we would do. So um, that's been incredibly helpful. Our team has also been proactive in like doing things like help, you know, educating themselves, taking Excel, online Excel courses or social media courses. I've been super impressed with them. They're like, I just signed up for this. You know, I, I'm going to take an Excel course for half the day. I hope that's okay. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, um, there, there's a lot. There's always a lot that can be done. And they're working just as hard to think about how we can use this time productively. Is this situation and how we're all being forced to work now going to change how people work sort of fundamentally in the future, do you think? I, I do. I think so. Yes. I think for us, we've already, we've already thought about like, what does going back into the office look like, especially in our Chicago headquarters, you know, in Chicago, it's, a, we have two parts to our office. One is the customer, like the showroom where we have lounge spaces and customers come in and we fit them. That really won't change. But the other half is our customer service like center and where kind of five out of the nine team members work and they all sit at this one big desk. And in the beginning we were like, this is going to be great. You know, like we're going to have open lines of communication. We can work and get projects done and like, but you can also work independently. And I will tell you that that is, has become, I mean, especially cause maybe it's like a, a female thing, but like it's, you get like five or six women all around the same table. It's like very distracting. And I think our team is being much more productive working from home in sort of isolation because you're able to think clearly. You're able to, I mean, especially for things like blogging or social, like content writing, you cannot get stuff like that done when you're sitting at a table of like five other people. And so, yeah, I think it's going to... We, we've always let our team work from home one day a week um, just to get projects done. And I don't know if we'll extend that policy, but we will definitely break apart like how our, our office is structured to give more like personal, like I said, spaces and, and allow people to just focus. It's, it's quite funny that on one hand, you're accepting that you can't possibly do your job effectively when you're in an, an office with six other people. And on the other, you're saying you probably won't extend that policy of, of, of working at home for one day a week. There seems to be some resistance there. Well, it's good to have people together. Yeah, I mean, it's stuff. It's like, yeah. So I think where we're struggling now is the ability to be just like, oh, hey, so-and-so, like, did you hear about this? Like, 
the nice thing about being all together has been like, you know, just the rapid fire, like communication that can happen, whether it's about a customer or about a marketing campaign, like we can just solve those problems in, in real time. Now, it obviously it takes a text message or, um, you know, an email or Slack, but um so I think the the there's a middle ground to having people in a similar space, but providing a sort of focused workspace that's theirs that they can like just really get stuff done, but still have their colleagues in close proximity if they have like a question or an idea. What's getting you through at the moment? Um, my Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, no, my, my, I think the other girl, like the team, um, the other people that I work with, uh, they're just, like I said, I mean, they, they surprise me every day on the stuff that they're working on. And, and I haven't even thought about, at, you know, talking to them about it. It's like people are taking such initiative. And uh, for me too, I can sometimes like, I don't like to say I'm a micromanager, but I probably hold on to things too long. And they're just like, I'm doing this. And and then they, you know, and so I find out that they're working on things that I've been wanting to tackle for a while. And I'm like, ah, this is great. Like you guys are doing a, you're doing a much better job than I ever would have. And like, it's getting done. So um, I'm inspired by the work that we're doing. What's your message at the moment for small businesses that maybe aren't as mature as yours is? Yeah, for small businesses, I mean, I we're, we don't have it all figured out. So I'm, <laughs> if anybody has advice for me, I will love that. <laughs> um, really, the, the biggest advice I can give is just save your cash. Like say, you talk to every possible vendor you can about deferring payments, about, you know, plan for paying out in like 60, 90 days. And everybody's doing this. Like, don't be ashamed to do it. Everybody is doing this. And I mean, everybody and everybody I've talked to is like, you're not the first person to ask me. And like, this is what we're going to do. Okay. And on to the serious questions. Are you wearing pajamas at the moment? I sure am. It's we started this at nine a.m. Tom. <laughs> so yeah, and, I mean yes, and I'm thirty-five weeks pregnant, so pretty much pajamas is all I wear these days. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. It must be comforting to know you're bringing your newborn into this calm and stable world you're <laughs> experiencing at the moment. I know. <laughs> I know. Diana Gans, co-founder of The Groomsman Suit, thanks for talking to me. Stay safe. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Dana Donafrey, founder and CEO of Anna Ona. Stay safe. Do you want me to say goodbye or is that that's good? Uh, what, what do I want you to do? I, I, I haven't thought ahead. Danny Catullo, CEO. Danny Catullo, COO. Danny Catullo, CEO. This is going to be a struggle, Danny. So I'm the founder and I'm now called the chief innovation officer. Congrats on the promotion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was a promotion or a demotion, but yeah. <laughs> That's it for our Making It Work COVID-19 special. We would love to know what you think, so remember to rate this podcast. And if you don't want to miss out on future episodes, be sure to subscribe. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Danny Catullo, Dana Donafrey, Diana Gans, and David Patrick. Making It Work is produced by Yolene Margri, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, with creative direction from Jeroen von Koenigshoven. Music is by Fresh Big Mouth, who created this song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub in Memphis, Tennessee. This show is delivered to you by FedEx, 
and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>